Right. Well, happy Sabbath to all. Good seeing you. I see a lot of you. Uh, are you enjoying this summer so far? Summer is almost over for some of you kids. Almost over. But the beauty of school is coming soon. <laughs> I don't hear any amen from the kids or nothing like that. But it's all right. Summer is coming, and, uh, and I know that many of you want to see your friends at school, which is good. This last week, the last five days, it was five days, we went for the first time, honey, right? The first time we went on a, in, in a cruise, and it was really nice. We've never been on one of those big boats before, and I thought you're going to be sick because it keeps moving, but you don't feel that much. You don't feel that much at all. So we are really happy, and we were so happy when we leave that boat coming this way that the cop stopped me in Long Beach and stopped me to give me a ticket. Because I was going a little bit too fast. That's what he said. I almost argued like the lawyer with the, with the cab, but then uh, I remember the story, no. Uh, but he was so nice because my wife, she uses those beautiful words of English that she knows how to speak. She says, you know, we are just coming from this cruise vacation trip, and the cab is looking at us, and then he goes back to the motorcycle, and they come back and says, so give me a good reason why I don't have to give you a ticket today. And I didn't know what to say. To tell you the truth, the only thing that came out from my mouth is, was, because you love me? And he looked at me, is that the best thing you can do? <laughs> but it worked, I guess, because he didn't give us a ticket, right? God is good. God is really good. Yeah, I didn't know what to say. I don't know. Maybe you can give me some ideas once you leave the church and you're telling me, Pastor, next time when you get those kind of questions, say something better than just because you love me to another cop, especially a man. Come on. You know, it's not right. It's not good. But it did work. Let's open our Bibles in Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. And we are going to study and read a story that uh, you probably know already by now. Because of the picture that we have there and, and the bulletin and because of the, of the title that we have. All right. Luke chapter 7, verse 1. I'm going to start reading. When Jesus had finished saying all this in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. There, a centurion servant who his master valued highly was sick and about to die. I just want to tell you something before I keep reading. First of all, according to Luke, this story, this moment is happening just after the, the, the Sermon of the Mountain, when he's talking to a bunch of people about the things that they need to know as Christians. And then, according to Matthew, he's leaving that place to go to another place, and then someone who is sick. And the Bible mentioned is a servant. Verse number two, I'm going to read it again. There is a centurion's servant whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. First of all, I want to tell you that even that the Bible, the, the, even that the, 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 value, the Bible called it servant, it wasn't a servant; it was a slave. And as you know, slaves don't have that many rights. Well, they don't have any rights at all. Back in those days, they didn't have any rights at all. And more than that, the Bible says that this servant or this slave was valued highly, and that doesn't have to do anything with money. 
Some people at first they thought, well, maybe he pay a good price for that slave. Nothing to do with that because the Greek word for that is not value as, as in money, but value as in a relationship that he did have with this slave. But on top of that, I want you to remember this. He says, he's a slave. He was valued highly. But on top of that, says that this slave was sick to the point that he was almost dying. According to the Roman law, if you have a slave who is almost dying and is sick because his property is yours, I mean, if it's your property, you can do with that slave whatever you want. And one of the things that they usually do is because they know that this person is not going to be good anymore, he's going to die soon, they kill the slave. That reminds me that uh, something like that happened, ha- happened sometimes in some places in Mexico. When you see a, a, a horse that is not good anymore, that is really sick, or he just broke a leg or something like that, they just go to the horse and they shoot the horse so that way the horse won't suffer anymore. Because that's the best thing for them to do. And this is very much, maybe almost just like that. This is my, va- I mean, this is my property. He's almost dying. I'm not going to get anything good from this. So let's just kill the slave. So these centurions have the, the, the right to probably kill this slave. But he didn't. Because verse number three also says the centurions heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him Asking him, asking him to come and heal his servant. Now, who is this centurion? Nobody knows. But we know the personality, his character. He loves this servant so much. He loves this slave so much. And he knew about Jesus Christ. He heard about Jesus Christ to the point that when he knew that Jesus was close by, he went and he, you know, he was smart. He went back to the elders and said, you guys are Jews and you guys are elders of the Jews. So I want you to do me a big favor. I want you to go and talk to the other Jew who his name is Jesus Christ. Go talk to him and tell him to come and heal my servant. And these elders did a good job, seems like it. But they went a little bit too much, I think. Because the Bible says, number, the Bible reads, and number four says like this, when they came to Jesus, they what? They pleaded earnestly with him. This man deserves to have you do this. Because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with him. And this is when I think they just push a little too much. The Bible says that they plead like, like they were like all over him. That's when you translate that word. It's like going all over somebody like saying, hey, honey, I love you. Hey, hey do you love me? Yes, I do. Yes, do you love me? And I'm here on top and top of someone kind of like pushing, pushing that you need to do something. But they thought that Jesus needs to do that for two reasons. The first one is because he loves our nation. And the second one is because he built a synagogue. Are those the good reasons to be healed by Jesus Christ? Are those good reasons to come to Jesus and say, Lord, you have to do something for, 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 for brother X or Y because they love the church, because they build something the church, because they work so hard. Is that a good reason to come to Jesus? Sometimes we push a little too much. 
When we go in front of Jesus Christ, we don't have to bring these things that we do at church. This love that we have for the church. You know that? Sometimes that, 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 I mean, we have this kind of mentality that Jesus is going to listen to us because we do some things for him. Because we are working so hard for him. We usually think that Jesus is probably not doing something for me in my life. Or maybe I deserve him whatever I'm suffering right now. Because maybe I'm lacking something at church. And I'm doing the, I'm, I am not doing the job of what Jesus wants me to do in the church. Or God wants me to do in the church. How many times we usually think, you know, and, and, and uh, I'm going to mention what she was saying about uh, the, the uh, nominating committee that is coming and, you know, and, and all of that soon. How many times we really think that we deserve a place because we did for so many years the same ministry all the time? How many times we think that we deserve to be heard because we came to the church so many years and I'm the oldest here? How many times we think that we deserve something because we love the ministry, we love the Lord so much that he is probably going to give me so many blessings and I deserve those blessings. The Jews push a little too much, those elders. They push a little too much to the point that they came to Jesus trying to convince him that you need to do that, Jesus, because he deserves that. The very interesting thing is that the same verse, verse number five says, at the, oh, sorry, six says, so Jesus went with them. Not necessarily mentioning or knowing that he is listening to them, but he is going to the place that they were asking for him to go. Then the story keeps saying, he was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. Now we have here two situations, and that's what I'm saying. I think they push a little too much. We have the elders of the church going to Jesus, and he deserves because he did that. And then the other side, we have this centurion sending friends to Jesus, saying, I do not deserve you being here. Who is right? Is my question. You see, the centurion knew very well who he really was. Under the law of the Jews, Jesus was not supposed to be walking into a house of a Gentile. That was totally wrong. That was a no-no. You never do that walking in the house of a Gentile and spend time probably there. That's why you hear many, many stories in the Bible of people saying, how come Jesus is eating with these people, eating with sinners, I mean sinners, eating with these and that? He always got in trouble. And this centurion knew very well Jesus Christ and the law. I know who you are. I heard about you a lot. And I know that I do not deserve for you to come into my house. I know you do. I do not deserve, you know, for you to be here. So I'm going to tell you something. According to this verse that people said. 
or he said. Verse 7. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word and my servant will be healed. Say the word and my servant will be healed. You know, so far I'm starting to see a little bit of the faith that at the end Jesus is going to be amazed. Just say the word and I know my servant will be healed. I keep reading verse 8. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one go and he goes. And that one come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. There are three things so far that I want to tell you out of this story. First of all, the Gentile, this, this centurion, he's not afraid of sending for Jesus and telling him, come to my house. He knew that probably Jesus is going to say, no, I can't go to your house. But he didn't care about that. He sent somebody. Matthew says that he went and talked to Jesus. But he sent somebody to invite Jesus to his house. Even so that he probably thought it's not going to happen. How many times do we invite Jesus Christ into our problems? How many times do we remember to talk to him when we are getting in trouble, when we don't have any solutions, when everybody else is telling you, you know what? It's over. How many times when you are sick? Let's talk about that. Because you and me, we get sick. How many times when you see death in front of you, you invite Jesus Christ to come into your heart, into your problem, the problem of being sick? Second, he invites Jesus Christ, but he also does something. He recognizes that Jesus Christ, so, sorry, he recognizes that he doesn't deserve to be before his presence. He knows that he's not better than anybody else, and more than that, he's not even better than Jesus Christ himself. And I'm talking about a centurion, someone who didn't know, supposed to be, didn't know anything about Christianity, anything about God. But he recognizes him as being less, lower. Do we do that? Do we recognize that we are nobody before the presence of God? Do we recognize that we as seven-day Adventists that we are called to be, we still are nobody before the presence of God? Do we recognize that we, when you know that you are nobody before, I mean, before his presence, it's only one thing for you to know, and that's the next step that he realizes, and he says it loud? After he recognizes that he is nobody, he also recognizes Jesus Authority. You see, and the one thing that I can only remember out about authority is my dad. And I mentioned this a few times to you. 
when you talk about authority, especially when I remember my days, is him coming to me and telling me, you are going to do this because I say so. And if you don't do it, then you are going to have some consequences. And these days, we, we, we probably call it uh, physical, uh, what do you call that? Child abuse. But I remember him doing this. Okay, my son, like that. And I remember that. And I remember him doing this, like one, two. I think it was two or three. So that way it's not long enough. So when he can do it, he can just go there. I remember that. And I remember that when he didn't have any of these, he just go to the, to, to, to the kitchen and he grab the, 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 the ah, what do you say that, the plancha, the, the iron, and he takes the, the core, the electrical core, he just twists it a little bit and he goes, come here. That's authority. That's what I learned about authority. That if I don't listen, if I don't do something that he, he, I mean, he was telling me to do, then you have consequences. I remember once I was trying to be me, I guess. And I remember once I was just joking around and playing. Not like today. Today I'm more, I am more serious. But I was joking around a little bit. And I was in the, in, the, in the house, in the living room, and he was working, and then he went to the bedroom. I was watching TV. I believe I was maybe like about 10 or 11, something like that. And when I was watching TV, I saw him leaving the living room, you know, going, you know, going away from the living room. And then when I saw him coming, I went behind him, and I pulled out the chair. He went down hard. No carpet, remember? So it hurts. But it hurt more what happened after that to me. <laughs> and my mind was, this is going to be fun. We're going to be laughing about that. But I was crying about that. And that was normal. That was normal for me. That was authority for me. And maybe if you are coming from some other denomination, some other churches, you see someone up here, the preacher, or you see here the, the priest or whoever it is, and he has the authority to do whatever he wants with you. And he has the authority to, to move the Bible the way he wanted, and he has the authority to tell you if you are going to be lost or you are going to be saved. So you want to do well, you want to do good, because you don't want to be lost. You don't want to end up in that eternal fire for you forever and be kind of like a crispy chicken there, no? You want original or extra crispy? And we keep having this idea of the authority, you know? And that's the idea that I had, the authority. Authority is something that you just listen if you don't argue about that. But these centurions have a different idea of authority. He sent for Jesus, knowing that maybe Jesus is not going to come. 
parenthesis. We even get mad sometimes with God when we pray. We pray and we said, he's not listening to me. He's like inviting him to my problem, inviting him to my house, to my life, and he's not listening to me. Where he didn't have a problem, he sent it. And then Jesus responds. And on top of that, after he invites Jesus Christ, he realizes, okay, you know what? I'm not worthy of having him in my house and in my roof. So he sent his friends. I don't want to even go there, as, as, the, as the Bible mentioned. So I'm sending somebody else. Just stay there. Don't come to my house. My house is a mess. If you want to change that to your life and my life, we can say, Jesus, just stay right there. My life is a mess. I don't want you, I don't want you to come. I mean, I believe in you, but my life is a mess. And he's willing to come. He's willing to live with you. My life is a mess. Stay there. But then the words, you know, I have authority as a soldier among all these men. And I know that you also have some authority there. And he recognizes before everybody else that the authority of Christ is not about, say, I mean, it's not about him saying, you keep the Sabbath, otherwise you're going to be lost. You give your tithe, otherwise you're going to be, not lost, kicked out of the church because you're supposed to be helping the church. But it's, about, it's an authority that is over all of that. It's a spiritual authority that nobody else has. And the, the, the beauty of this is that after he said all of that, Jesus responded in number nine like this. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him and turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. And let me add something else to that. Go to Mark chapter six, verse six. And he's talking also to the Jews. I'm going to read from verse number 5. Mark chapter 6, verse, uh, verse 5 and 6. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their like, lack of faith. We have Jesus Christ being amazed in this Bible and our Bibles twice. One, because he's amazed that they don't have any faith at all. Being the ones that are supposed to be having faith in Jesus Christ. And here on the other side we have he's amazed for someone who is not even a Christian. But he has more faith than anyone in Israel. I want to tell you something. It's not talking about small faith. It's not talking about big faith. It's not talking about amounts of faith. Amounts of faith. But it's talking about having faith. And it's bringing the difference of people. Now, you know what I want for my God, for my Jesus? I know he loves me. But I wonder sometimes if he is amazed with my faith. I wonder if he is really amazed with my faith. With my face, no. My face, yeah. He's With my faith. My face is probably amazed too. He's the one that created my face. I wonder if he is really amazed with my faith. 
I wonder if he's going to turn around and say, you know what? I haven't seen faith like this, not even whatever place he's going to be. And he was amazed because this centurion gave him, put him in the right place of authority. You see, when someone has the authority, that person can do things for you. Back in my country, if you go, I can only tell in my country, I know it happened the same thing in Mexico too. I've been there for many years, but when you go to a place where nobody else can hear you, a government or something like that, and you're there asking for questions and nobody listens to you, when you're asking for solutions and nobody listens to you, when you're doing, I mean, spending one or two days and nobody listens to you, and then suddenly someone comes and says, you know what? I have a compadre that works in that office. Do you want me to talk to him? I said, yeah, can you talk to your compadre? And then the compadre comes to me and says, you know what? I heard that you're having some problems. Let me fix that. And you go there with him together, and the person that didn't listen to you before, he turns and looks at this guy and says, you know what? Do this thing and that. Oh, sir, no problem. Fix. And I know that happens not only in my country, many other countries. Because someone else has the authority to do what you thought is not possible to be done. And Jesus Christ is being received by this centurion with that authority. I mean, he's saying, Jesus, you have the authority. I know you don't even have to come all the way to my house and touch the person, but you can just say the word from where you are, and something is going to happen. Well, brothers and sisters, I want to tell you something. Jesus wants to do something with you and me. Jesus wants to change your life completely. Jesus wants to heal you if you are sick. Jesus wants to do great things in your life. And brothers and sisters, I mean sisters, Jesus wants to do something with his church. Jesus wants to, for this church, not to only grow, but to be alive in these last days that we are supposed to be living. He wants us to be the light for others that they don't know anything about Christ. And he wants us to be used by him in such a mighty, powerful way. But you know what happened? I think Jesus is getting amazed that we don't have that faith. I think he's getting amazed that sometimes we kind of like argue, ah, that cannot happen. That only happened in South America or Africa or China. I want my Christ to be amazed because I recognize his authority. I recognize that I am nobody and I need to be led by him. It's time to recognize that the same Jesus that was here a long time ago is still here in this church. And he wants to move the church. It's time for you to recognize, before you even recognize that, that that same Jesus wants to heal you. 
Heal your soul. Heal your heart. Heal your pain. Fix your problems. Heal you physically. Other than being disappointed with him, he wants you to pursue and look for him. But that part, you and I, personally, we can only do it. Nobody else can do it for you. You see, we can intercede for you. The pastor can pray for you. The elders can pray for you. But at the end, it's about you giving him the authority to do and make changes in your life. God wants for you to think different. We are not a small church. We are a great church with Jesus Christ as the head of the church. We are not different to anybody else. We are all the same. We are sinners. And we need to recognize that we need him. How many of you are willing to start just maybe inviting Jesus Christ into your life? How many? I want to see. A few of you? This is for everybody. I'm talking. Just keep your hands like that. This is for everybody. It's, it's, it's not only for the children. It's not only for the newcomers or, or, or the visitors. This is for everybody. How many of you want to not only invite him to come into your lives, but how many of you want to tell him that you recognize yourself, that you cannot do anything without him? A few more hands. Yes, yes. But more than that now. This is the third step. I've told you it was three things. How many of you, after recognizing that you're nobody, that you cannot do anything, that you want to invite him into your life so he can change your life. How many of you want to tell him, God, Jesus, you have the authority. So do whatever you have to do from where you are. Because you don't need to be here from where you are. Do whatever you have to do with my life. Now that you're raising your hand, bring it down. And I'm going to give you the opportunity to talk to God. Three things. Come. I recognize that I'm nobody. We, you know, I, I don't even deserve for you to be here. But hey, here I am. I'm calling you. And I give you the authority. Because you are. You are the only authority. Who have the power to change my life. I'm going to let you pray. And talk to God. Why don't you pray with me? Just pray. I'm going to give you a good minute for you to talk to God. And then after that, I'm going to pray. Let's all pray. Heavenly Father, I don't know how you do this, but I know you hear each one of the prayers. Lord, at this moment, I want to ask you for you to listen to our prayers and do something with those prayers, Lord. Help us to recognize that you are the only one who can help us survive this crazy world, 
this crazy life. You are the only one who can come to us when we call you. You are the only one, O oh Lord, who has the authority to do things with our lives, make changes if we allow it to do it. Help this church and myself to recognize that we are nobody without you, that we need you. Not because we have a position out in the world as a leader or boss of, we are nobody without you. Help us to recognize that in order to see you doing miracles in our lives, we have to invite you. Thank you, Lord, because we know you listen to our prayers. Now, as we leave this place, O oh Lord, I want to ask you for you to be with my brothers and sisters. Help them to see things different the way you see it. Help them to preach the gospel the way you want us to preach the gospel. Help us to live the life of a Christian the way we are supposed to be living it. So others may see in us that you are coming soon. And maybe they will ask and we can answer. Our Jesus is coming soon, but not only for us, also for them. In Jesus' name, we want to ask all of this. Amen.